start with some genuine responses from children about mothers and parenting and families. So we might just have a look at a couple of these slides. Uh, so the first one's, Mummy, I love you sometimes. <laughs> Dear Mum, thank you so much for being my mum. If I had a different mum, I would punch her in the face and go find you. Love, Brooke. <laughs> Probably not quite what Brooke's mum was hoping for. Um, Brendan says, thank you, mum, for making me food so I don't die. You're welcome, son. I won't love you if you make me clean my room. Have any of us ever heard that, mothers in the room? I'm angry at you and I'm not talking you to you today and tomorrow. P.S. all day. P.S.S. I do still love you. <laughs> Dear Mum and Dad, don't bother to give me any dinner. I'm not that hungry. Love crossed out, so no love, from the saddest person in the world. <laughs> I wonder what's happened in that family this afternoon. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Uh, this one's from Mum. You know those lunchbox notes we put in thinking we're doing all of the right things? Dear Julian, have a great day, love Mum. Julian says, I will not. <laughs> uh, this, uh, I think this is gorgeous. Positive ways our family handles stress. Suck it up, the child has written. I think that might have been one of my children. Um, and the last one, Frankie at, says, I earn money at home by, I don't, I'm a freeloader. <laughs> so. You know, it's good to have a laugh uh, because Mother's Day isn't joyful for everyone and it's a day that can stir up painful memories and feelings for some. Not, not just because of difficult relationships but also because of grief or loss, disappointment or a variety of other reasons. Now the juxtaposition of all of this with Hallmark's rose-coloured glasses view of the institution may leave some of us feeling that we're alone, that we've done something wrong or that we're missing out on one of the great joys and blessings of life. And to make things even more difficult, while we romanticise motherhood, we provide little or no training for it and lot of, not a lot of support once it happens. The author Irma Bombeck wrote, the easiest part of being a mother is giving birth. The hardest part of it is showing up for it every day. <laughs> so here's what I've decided after decades of having and being a mother. The images of motherhood and families that we see on social media are often the stuff of dreams and wishes. They're not real life. Parenthood and family life is often confusing and difficult and sometimes, gasp, not very rewarding. Two, being either a mother or not doesn't make you a good, bad, better, worse, or superior or inferior person. We're clear about that. And lastly, motherhood does not automatically turn us into successful or happy people. Now being a mother is one of the richest experiences of my life. 
But while motherhood has its share of joys, it can also bring a great deal of pain. And that's what rich experiences are all about. It's difficulty, it's joy, it's struggle, it's sorrow, it's delight, all wrapped together, not necessarily in equal measure. So what to do? Do we celebrate today or do we just try to ignore it? It is a genuine dilemma, so it's a delight to share with you as you've chosen to honour all women, women of all ages and stages and difference. We do so little honouring in our contemporary society. We're much more inclined to be critical. So I've chosen a passage that speaks to women and honours them because of who each chooses to be in the midst of complexity and difficulty and tragedy. It's a stunning story where all the main protagonists are women. And along the way, I'm going to share some stories of some of the remarkable women that I've been privileged to meet through Baptist World Aid in the work that we're involved in and to tell you a little bit about their courage and bravery and the incredible difference they're making in their own world. So let's go to Exodus 2, verses 1 to 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister came forward and asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child got older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Okay, so let's just go back a little bit so we can get the context of this story and understand it a little more. At the end of the book of Genesis, the entire nation of Israel had moved to Egypt to be with Joseph, yes, the coat of many colours, Joseph, who had, after a pretty rough start, actually, check out Joseph's family if you're worried about yours being a bit dysfunctional. So Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man when Egypt was gripped by drought. And to thank him for his service, Pharaoh invites Joseph people to come and live in the lush land of Goshen, the fertile delta region of Egypt. So the whole family comes on over and for a time they prosper. But Pharaoh dies and a new one comes to power. And this new one isn't too keen on a bunch of foreigners occupying his country's prime real estate. 
Seems like generosity has always been a problem among the human race. Not only that, though, but the Israelites have taken God's command to be fruitful and to multiply seriously to the point that they're now more numerous than the Egyptians, and that's quite a threat to an insecure pharaoh. He fears a revolt from the Israelites, so he enslaves them and puts them to work building sphinx and pyramids and other massive monuments to glorify Pharaoh himself. But slavery doesn't stop the Israelites from multiplying, so Pharaoh takes a more drastic step at this point, and I do mean drastic. It's brutal and it's cruel, something else our world is sadly still all too familiar with. Pharaoh commands the midwives to kill any boy born to an Israelite woman. Not the girls, though, because in Pharaoh's mind, the boys are the only threat. Oh, Pharaoh, you have a lot to learn if you think that girls and women aren't strong enough, wise enough, faithful enough brave enough and courageous enough to be a threat. So let's consider the women's part in this story, starting with the midwives. Now there's some speculation about whether the women he ordered to kill the babies were Hebrew or Egyptian. The Bible says that they were says they were Hebrew midwives, but that also could mean midwives to the Hebrews. It seems that they were Egyptian though, and they were probably representative of a whole group of midwives who would have assisted the Israelite women to give birth. Now, whether they're Egyptian or Hebrew, I can only imagine their horror at being given this command. A midwife's role is to bring life into the world and they're committed to the very best outcomes for both mums and babies. And here they're being issued with this terrible order to do Pharaoh's horrendously dirty work and murder the baby boys that they deliver. Murder every single Israelite baby boy. Now in their horror, and with incredible strength and courage, and because they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh, they say, the Bible tells us that the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. They devise a plan. And when they're brought before Pharaoh and challenged about allowing the Hebrew babies to live, they dangerously claim that by the time they get to the Hebrew women, these women, much more vigorous than their Egyptian counterparts apparently, have already given birth and hidden the baby. It's not our fault, Pharaoh. They had the baby before I got there and have hidden the baby. Now, don't miss the significance of what these two women have done. They've deliberately defied the orders of Pharaoh and they've put themselves at incredible personal risk for what is just and right. Make no mistake, Pharaoh wants nothing less than a genocide and he is thwarted by two seemingly insignificant women. These are shrewd women, this is an affirming word rather than a negative one, who engage in a risky and massive battle. 
These are women of audacious, heroic, and brave faith, fiercely protective of what they know to be right and just. Now, not many of us will be called to speak into a political situation of this magnitude, but all of us are called to be brave for what we know is right. Now, last year in Nepal, I met a brave young woman called Suni, who's a participant in one of our youth programs. And prior to joining the group, Suni's education had been limited, and she was mostly at home doing domestic chores. As a young woman in, uh, in her Nepalese community, she had little to look forward to, a life of domestic servitude and early marriage and childbirth likely treated as a possession with no voice or agency of her own. But through our Christian partners there, Suni learned that even though she and the other girls in her village had frequently experienced discrimination, that they were actually equal with boys and had the same human rights. And Suni learned that child marriage was wrong and that she should continue her education and make plans for her life. Now, this was a revelation to Suni, and her confidence grew in knowing her worth. She knew her value, and she grew in stature because of it, and soon she was an active participant in the youth group, and together, Suni and her new friends became outspoken advocates against child marriage. They even managed to stop Suni's own sister being pressed into a young marriage, and they helped her return to school. Now, Suni is feisty in a good way. You can see that from her photo, can't you? She knows that she's strong and that she's capable and intelligent. And she and her friends have taken what they've been given, that courage, that confidence in who they are and their worth and value, and they're using it for the good and well-being of others. And it was remarkable to see their passion to lead and to make a difference in their community, to set wrong things right and to dismantle the unjust systems that seek to deny girls and women the fullness of life God intends. So let's jump back into the story now and meet Jochebed, the mother of Moses. So Jochebed's given birth and she's successfully hidden her newborn for three months. How she manages to do this in a slave hut, I have no idea. We know how hard it can be to keep children quiet for five minutes sometimes, but she does it for weeks on end. So great is her courage in what must be unbelievable fear of being discovered. Now, few women have had to raise a family in more difficult circumstances than this. But I can't help to think of the Syrian women, like those uh, that, the, that we're able to support in Lebanon, along with our Baptist family there. Women who are fleeing violence, oppression, and civil war on a long road to nowhere. Now, having been thwarted by the midwives, Pharaoh decides to progress his plans by having all the male children thrown into the Nile River. Girls still don't count in his book, just as they don't in many parts of our world today. Well, more fool Pharaoh and shame on those who continue to consider girls and women to be lesser beings. 
Now, Jochebed must be beside herself. Picture her trying to keep her family together under the most extreme of circumstances, just like those refugee women today, fighting to keep their families together, struggling to feed and shelter their children, desperate to keep them from harm. Do you know that as we meet today, there are over 100 million refugees just because of conflict across our world. That's the highest number our world has ever seen, the highest number in history, and the number continues to rise. It's one in every 90 people is a refugee displaced from their home because of conflict. Now, fleeing from your home and living in a refugee camp is extraordinarily difficult. Most families leave with only the clothes on their back or what they can carry. Many have lost family members and, the, and um, the w women are often forced to seek refuge for themselves and their children alone, knowing that they might never be re reunited with loved ones. And on their own in camps, women and girls face additional dangers, walking to school, to the food lines, the toilet, anywhere exposes them to threats of harassment and assault. So as a result, families tend to keep women and girls inside the home, generally a tent, remember, making their world smaller and lonelier, but not necessarily safer. Home is often a place where early marriages are decided and where intimate and family violence occur. Mothers fear for the safety of their daughters and often make choices to protect them in the short term, knowing these decisions will harm their long-term future. Can you imagine trying to raise your family in such difficult circumstances? Well, Phaeton knows exactly how difficult it is. She's a Syrian mother of five who lived with her husband on the outskirts of Damascus. Now, they weren't rich. They had a simple home but good food to eat and all of the children were in school. But one night early in the war, the police broke down their door and took all of the family brutally from their beds. They beat Fatine's husband in front of the family, accusing him of being a terrorist. And of course, they were all terribly traumatized by this event. Now, Fatine's husband spent four terrible years in jail, um, in prison. He was tortured before he was released. And the family knew they had to flee. And although grateful to be now safe in Lebanon, life has been very hard. Phaeton says she felt hopeless, helpless and sad and she struggled to get medicine for her now sick husband and food for the children. She wasn't used to asking for help and she felt terribly embarrassed by their situation and at one stage the family burnt their one piece of real furniture, a used sofa, to try to keep everybody warm. Now a burning sofa only provides warmth for so long. But still, Phaeton wants little else than to see her children continue their studies and to have the future that she knows she and her husband are unlikely to ever have. But fortunately, 
Our local Baptist partners have been able to come alongside Phaeton's family. And I'm glad to tell you that her husband is now getting the medicine that he needs. The children are in school and having trauma counselling. And Phaeton has received a sewing machine, which is allowing her to earn a meagre living to help support the family. And I was thrilled to read in the most recent report of how the family are doing that Phaeton said she was so proud when one of her children sang a solo in the school choir for Mother's Day. It's a glimpse of normal life for this family, but it's still a very difficult existence. And in the same report, Phaeton said she sometimes feels panic-stricken for the future, particularly as refugee conditions continue to deteriorate in Lebanon. Now, after three months of what must be incredible fear and anxiety, Jochebed decides she can't protect Moses any longer. She places him in a small basket and sets him on the Nile. How ironic that the very water that Pharaoh has destined for his death is the place that Jochebed chooses to trust her child. She obeys the letter, but not the spirit of Pharaoh's command and commits her child to the Nile. Not only is Jochebed courageous and tenacious, but she's faithful and she knows when she's done all she can she must hand her situation over to the Lord. There's such wisdom in that, in knowing that in our own strength, things may seem impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, I can only imagine the tears and the prayers that went into the making and the releasing of the basket. Praying mothers are a force to be reckoned with. Praying godmothers are pretty too, good, good too, Carlton Hicks. They keep praying when others stop. And the power of prayer is only amplified when grandmothers are involved. Now, along with prayer, I imagine a whole range of emotion as Jochebed prepares the pitch to make the basket waterproof. Now, fascinating that the Hebrew word for basket here is the same word that's used for ark in the story of Noah. The baby boy has his own little ark to keep him alive on the very waters that are meant to drown him. And just as God saved creation by having Noah build an ark, so God will save his people through this baby boy set afloat in an ark. But Jochebed doesn't know that God will act. She just knows that she can't any longer. And she has the faith and the wisdom to trust next steps to him. Martin Luther King said, faith, isn't take, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Is there anything harder to do than trust God with something we have no more control over? But do you know that trust is not a feeling? It's a verb. It's something we choose to do or not. Trust is work. It's daily work. 
Now, we've all been through situations where we've had to let go or should have, giving up or changing our dreams to fit a more sobering reality isn't a comfortable place to be. So I wonder in your life right now, what's the right balance of doing everything you can but yet still calmly trusting God to work? Jochebed released what she had in her hands, not knowing that God would fill them with something better, but choosing to trust him to do so or to stand with her in the emptiness. There is courage for us to do that in scripture, that we can do this and all things through him who strengthens us. So perhaps true faith, is not only confidence in Jesus and in his power, but for confidence to remain when his power doesn't serve us in the way that we want or hope for. That we would continue in and through all things, through him who strengthens us. Let's continue. The baby, cocooned in a tiny ark, is released into the Nile and Jochebed instructs Miriam, Moses' older sister, to keep watch. What a task for a young girl. We're not sure how old she is, but presumably not older than early teens. Pharaoh's murderous edict aside, the river is also home to the Nile crocodile, remember, and Miriam has to watch and wait. And no doubt she's holding her breath as the group of women, including Pharaoh's daughter, approach the river. And Pharaoh's daughter spots the baby and lifts the basket out and, and takes the baby. Now, you might think that Miriam would turn and run at this point. The baby's been spotted and retrieved. But she holds her ground and she displays brilliance and maturity beyond her years by stepping forward with a plan of her own. And she offers to Pharaoh's daughter that she'll run and find a wet nurse for the baby. It's pretty inspirational stuff for a young teenager who's got to be terrified by the whole situation. And Miriam returns with Jochebed, who is astoundingly handed back her own baby and told to nurse him. Honestly, if you were writing this story yourself, you'd never land it there. It's just too implausible as fiction. But I know that many of us will attest to the fact that in God's story, truth is often stranger than fiction. Now, God said it would be this way. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Think about it. Moses' mother places him in an ark and puts him among the reeds on the river. Years later, this same Moses will lead the Israelites to freedom from Egypt through what we know as the Red Sea, but what is literally translated as the Sea of Reeds. Pharaoh's daughter names the boy Moses because she drew him out of the water. And years later, Moses will draw the Israelites through the water that will lead to their freedom. 
In Moses' story, there is this incredible foreshadowing of God's liberating intent for Israel, and later his liberating intent for all of humanity. What might have ended in tragedy actually brings new life and new direction, but only if those charged with the need to act have the courage to do so. Now, having rescued him from the river, Pharaoh's daughter hands him back to his mother, Jochebed, for wet nursing, a common practice in those days, but significant in that she allows a Hebrew woman, woman to be given the task, indicating that she has little concern for her father's racial bigotry and discrimination. Now, why does Hatshepsut, we think that's her name, Hatshepsut, why does she choose to rescue the Hebrew baby boy in the first place? Well, apparently, she is Pharaoh's only surviving child, and according to Egyptian rule, to be Pharaoh's heir and successor, she must either have a husband or a son, and she has neither. So acquiring what seems to be an abandoned orphan makes sense at least to her and she takes the enormous risk of presenting the baby to her father. No doubt because it shores up the, an heir of his dynasty, he approves and his daughter is able to keep the baby and raise him as her own alongside and with Jochebed's help of course. Moses grows up to save his people and becomes one of the great heroes of the faith. And we remember his name more than the women who saved him. But they are a critical component of God's grand plan. Speaking of plans, look what's just happened. Five brave women completely dismantle Pharaoh's great plan and secure the future of the Israelites, the midwives, Moses' mother, his sister and Pharaoh's own daughter. And remember, and you've got to smile at this thought, they're all of the gender that Pharaoh has written off as not being important enough even to worry about. Now, these mostly ordinary women modelled virtues of incredible courage, resilience, loyalty, faithfulness. They had determination and grit for what they believed in, but they were also wise enough to let go of control uh, when that was out of their hands. And they show us that there are situations in life where we have a role to play and an action to take, and we need to show up with courageous faith. But likewise... There are times when we need courageous faith to let go and choose to trust God in the midst, no matter how messy or difficult or painful that is. Now, Omea demonstrates this incredible wisdom. Omea was deserted by her husband and found herself alone with a young family in deteriorating health with a serious heart condition, unable to do the hard physical labour she was accustomed to providing for her family with. The family was cold and hungry in the winter in Lebanon and then Omea discovered the local Baptist church. My neighbours told me about it, she said, but I thought they would only help Christians. I thought they would only help their own. So I was surprised to learn that they helped everyone 
regardless of nationality or religion. Since I got to know the church, my life changed completely. I was finally able to catch my breath. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? I was finally able to catch my breath. Even the smallest thing the church helps me with are so precious to me because of how badly I need them. They helped us with food, hygiene items, mattresses and blankets during the winter. Whenever they have something available, they remember us. Although I am not from the same religion, the church keeps encouraging me and reminds me that God did not abandon me. I feel I am not alone and there is still good left in this world. When my daughter prays that the church would help us with anything, I usually get a call from them shortly after. God hasn't abandoned us. Sometimes I'm weary and sad and my son comes and comforts me and tells me God sees me and will provide. Now we live day by day. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Maybe we won't even see tomorrow. We're in God's hands and we can only trust in him. If he takes care of the birds, of course he will take care of us. What a beautiful testimony from Amaya. So let's leave Moses and the five incredible women who saved his life uh, and also the remarkable women in the countries where Baptist World Aid works. And let me ground this for us in our context. Uh, a woman called Carol Kent's life changed forever. The night that she received a phone call telling her that her son had been arrested. Subsequently, he was sentenced to life in prison uh, for murder. And in the years since... Carol says that she's learnt to live a new kind of normal. Now, Carol's situation might be extraordinary, but learning to live a new kind of normal isn't. There will be times, perhaps right now, when we will all be challenged by the need to do that, living a new kind of normal. So this is Carol's courageous and brave stance in the mist. I hope it might be helpful for wherever you find yourself. Carol says, when despair takes me under, I choose life. When I wonder what God could possibly be thinking, I choose trust. When I want relief from unrelenting reality, I choose perseverance. When I am overwhelmed by disappointment and sorrow, I choose gratitude. When I want to keep my feelings to myself, I choose vulnerability. When nothing goes according to plan, I choose relinquishment. When I want to point the finger, I choose forgiveness. When I want to give up, I choose purposeful action. Now, choosing life, trust, perseverance, gratitude vulnerability, relinquishment, forgiveness, purposeful action. These aren't easy. Worthwhile things generally aren't, are they? But it's my prayer that I might be brave and courageous enough to choose these. Not when the going is good, but when his power doesn't serve me in the way that I had hoped or dreamed for. And actually, 
That's my prayer for us all. I hope you'll allow me to speak for you. That we might be women and men alike who bravely stand up for what we know is right. Who have the courage to deal well with whatever is in front of us. Who wisely choose to let go and let God when that's the best course of action but who are shrewd and faithful and quick enough to take the initiative and to act when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do so. That we might be those through whom God can act and bring about his plans and his purposes for us and his world. Will you let me pray for you? Let me pray for us. Gracious God, We thank you for the women you've called through the ages to stand in faith for you and your purposes. And we thank you particularly for those who have touched and impacted us personally. So empower us by your Holy Spirit to be people of courageous faith. May we act and serve with bravery in the face of injustice and pain, wisdom during difficulty and confusion, and joy and contentment in all that you have provided. In each and every circumstance, remind us that you have not abandoned us and strengthen our faith that we might not stray from you. And would you direct our lives, Lord, and help us get out of the road to let you act when that's your call to us. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to be present with Sunni, Phaeton, Omeya and so many others in the difficult and broken places they find themselves. Help us to truly see them, Lord, and to respond as generous and fierce advocates for a better world. In all that we are called to be and do, may we know the power and peace of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.